That's my whole semester crammed into a couplet. Welcome back to Composer Quest. I'm your composer host in Minneapolis, Charlie McCarran, and I'm excited to bring you this talk with one of the most talented songwriters I know, Brian Laidlaw. I thought I saw you at the crossroads. He had a metal guitar and heartstrings to barter. What a tricky devil you are. Brian teaches songwriting at McNally Smith College of Music. And in this talk, he shares some of the best lyric writing advice I've ever heard. But before we get to our conversation, just wanted to remind you that all the ComposerQuest episodes are free to download or stream through ComposerQuest.com, iTunes, or Stitcher. One quick announcement for my loyal listeners. The next Composing Quest is going to involve meeting up with other composers and songwriters in your city. So if you'd like to volunteer to be your city representative, that would be awesome. You can email me, charlie at composerquest.com, if you think you might be interested, and I'll share the super secret details of the next composing quest. So now, on to my talk with Brian Laidlaw. Brian, thanks for being here in my bedroom. It's my pleasure, man. I just got an email from a listener who was wondering if people I've interviewed have gone step-by-step in describing how they capture an emotion or like a situation and i was like well i'll just ask yeah brian since i'm talking to him for sure man i think for me weirdly i have a super emotional response to language itself so it's more frequent that i will come across a set of rhymes or a phrase that inspires an emotion in me as opposed to sitting down with an emotion that i want to articulate it's pretty rare, actually, for me to have a successful song come out of, like, oh, I'm feeling so blank right now. I need to write a song about that. And, and it used to work that way when I was starting out, I guess, where, like, those kind of songs that are basically like a journal entry that you're singing, you know, I definitely have plenty of those. But more frequently, they end up being kind of sloppy. And, like, the emotion is really powerful for me because it's, like... You know, I'm sitting right on the raw nerve of it. But the ones that seem to end up being sort of more successful in a compositional sense are the ones that have a little bit more distance to them emotionally. Sure. Yeah, no, that that makes sense. I am really curious to hear how you teach your songwriting class. Oh, yeah, man. With pleasure. Basically, my background is in creative writing. It's in poetry. And I structure my classes sort of along the lines of any creative writing class that you'd take as an English major or whatever. So each week I will deliver a lecture on some element of songwriting craft. So, for example, it might be persona or point of view. And then I'd play some tunes that are written from you know, a made-up character's perspective, like a bunch of Decemberist tunes work that way, or a song that's written from the perspective of a historical character, like, you know, the Don McLean song from Vincent Van Gogh's perspective or whatever about Van Gogh, Hmm. or songs being sung by dead people, stuff like that, where the narrator is dead, whatever. I'm sort of talking about the, the utility of switching your point of view into someone else's head. 
And then they have to write from whatever perspective I want to force on them or you know, whatever. <laughs> what, um, what are some of the well, weirder ones? Um, writing uh, as a murderer um, is an interesting one. That's stolen from a fiction exercise, actually. A dead person can be a really interesting one. I mean, that list could go on and on. Even just yeah. something as simple as writing from the opposite gender or something like that can like just... Uh, you know, a lot of people come in kind of unaccustomed to writing as anyone other than themselves. Mm-hmm. And going back to that idea of those songs that feel like journal entries, like if you always write from an I that is yourself, then you risk always writing those journal type songs. But if you start pushing yourself to write from an I that actually isn't you or is only sort of a sliver of yourself, you can start having songs that are a little more like expansive and insightful. 61 doesn't run west or east It makes a half of a cross like a half-hearted priest But plenty of protagonists have gotten obsessed Looking for the easiest passage west Now you catch me dreaming when I'm wide awake I thought I was in heaven but I made a mistake great-grandchild of Francis Drake. I didn't ever take songwriting classes, and there isn't really an established songwriting pedagogy at this point, so I'm getting to kind of make it up, which is awesome. Yeah, that's cool. And the students are super inspiring, and they're in that really steep part of their learning curve where at any given time they might have a huge breakthrough as a songwriter. What do you think does it for them to jump them into this next level? I think probably the biggest thing is just listening more widely. Like I try to bring in a a wide variety of songwriters as examples. And I also bring in reading material, which is something that a lot of musicians don't really engage with, at least a lot of my musicians that I work with. But um you know, I think that ends up really blowing some of their minds just to see a good poem. <laughs> Even like the best songwriters out there are rarely as like dense or idea driven or word-rific as even a mid-level poet kind of thing. Yeah. That kind of stuff. But then it's also just, I think, like being alongside a bunch of other songwriters who are going through the same thing and kind of this weird mix of like stealing ideas from one another, not really in ways that even they are aware of, you know, but in ways that I'm definitely aware of. (laughs) Um, It's super funny. And, uh, you know, and then also just kind of being maybe even slightly intimidated by each other, like, and wanting to step up their game. It's all fine and good to see, like, finished, perfect songs on albums. And that's kind of an opaque type of art to engage with because you don't have any real knowledge of how it came to be. But when they're like watching one of their peers create a song for the first time that is suddenly on a new level, it makes the insights from that process much more accessible to appropriate into their own process. Yeah. There should be more just like groups of songwriters getting together, I think. Oh, yeah, man. (laughs) Yeah. So you just played a pretty big show at the... International Cat Video Festival. <laughs> I did. It wasn't it on Animal Planet? Yep, too. That yeah, it is worldwide, global. 
it is a weird way to have reached by far the biggest audience that we've ever reached, but we graciously accept it. Um, and we got to, obviously, we got to meet Lil Bub, got to meet Grumpy Cat, kick it with them backstage, kick the, it with their handlers. The real cats? Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Oh, yeah, man. I... They had their own trailer. We were sharing our trailer with Cuckoo Kangaroo, but the cats had their own trailer. Deservedly <laughs> so. Like, it was their day. It was not our day, you know. Certain ancient cultures considered cats divine. That's why they buried their kings and princesses disguised as balls of twine. But I've done the carbon dating, I've analyzed the stats. It seems that cats never loved their people as much as people loved their cats. How do you approach? songs differently than a poem i think at first um when i when i first got into this this i was going to say this business but this total (laughs) non-business it was much more confusing to me whether i was writing a poem or a song and increasingly like my poems have gotten very experimental they don't rhyme they don't have punctuation they're like fragmentary and odd and increasingly my poetry has gotten more cerebral And if there's something that's more coming from my guts or that's coming from my heart, then it's song time. But it kind of goes in cycles, you know, so there will be four months where I'm mostly writing poems and then songwriting will come back into the forefront. Do you ever have two versions of the same idea, like a poem that turns into a song or vice versa? Yes, absolutely. And in this book, project that's coming out with Milkweed, there are some, it's not like the songs have the lyrics be the text of poems, but some of the songs are titled the same as some of the poems, even though the words are totally different. It's like getting at two sides of the same coin or, this is sort of a weird way to describe it, but I feel like the poems are often sort of the shattered version of the song. Like there's the sort of more focused song version of something and then a more expansive counterpoint to it that is less concerned with making a linear argument and more concerned with like building this broad world of ideas in the poem version and occasionally I steal phrases from a poem and stick it in a song or vice versa there's some of that going on too I recently read Bob Dylan's book Tarantula which is like his crazy sort of poems but it's in prose He's definitely sets the precedent for this kind of thing. Like, you see a lot of song lyrics that subsequently appeared in his tunes that were published first in book form in Tarantula. That's sort of my dream to, like, have it all be part of a a spectrum where, like, Mm. the poems and songs can all be in service of the same broader ideas. Cool. Yeah, I had never heard of that Bob Dylan book. Check it out. It's crazy. Um, it came out in, I think, 1964, and it is every bit as contemporary as, as things that are being published right now. I think he like would absolutely have been able to brand himself and push himself and make a career as a literary figure had he not decided to be the best songwriter in American history. <laughs> I'm glad he chose that instead. Yeah, yeah. Is there maybe one of your songs that's in progress right now that you'd be interested in? or recently finished yes anything like that that yeah. you could maybe talk through your process yeah absolutely Pull out an instrument here. Sure. 
Resonator guitar. Yeah, I mean, cool. this is my new toy. This is working title is called uh, One Tree Falling. Falling when the 
verse here that uh, may or may not go in. And then there'd probably be some really nice strings doing something here. Uh, and then I'm trying to remember the last verse, which is always a bad sign if I can't remember it. Um, oh, yeah. You should store your record upright to be sure that it never warps so the song is like the cascade and the voice is like the corpse and if there's a Gave me the chills a little bit at the end. Thank you. How did you start that song? During the summers, I I spent a lot of time at a cabin in California, up sort of near Lake Tahoe. And it's a family cabin. It's on the National Register of Historic Places. It was built in the 30s. And there's no heat, no electricity, and it's there's no road to it. So you row your stuff across in a rowboat across this little lake. And um that's definitely where I do all of my best writing. And this tune I wrote up there over the summer I started. And it was that um, we actually had a big red fur out in front of our cabin. And it was like mostly dead. It had had a good life. You know what I mean? It's been around there forever. Uh, but we had to get it cut down. And it was like from the deck, it's like one of the most prominently visible uh, it was one of the most prominently visible trees. You know, it was like a big part of like every photograph that we'd ever taken on that deck. And my great uncle had painted pictures of it. And, you know, it's iconic for us. Anyway, so that tree I knew was going to be coming down. And it was, um, I'm like just a hopelessly nostalgic person. And so it was like a big deal for me that that tree was coming down. So I started working on this tune and got kind of excited by the idea of having the sound of one tree falling be the refrain that keeps coming back but having the rhyme be different each time so what's the sound of one tree falling after the listener departs or the sound of one tree falling um, when the listener isn't there what's the sound of one tree falling when the listener ain't around or whatever and so then that last line in each case dictates what the previous line is going to be and I work that way a lot where I find the last line of a verse and then it gives me kind of a, a target to hit And it's like I know what the punchline has to be, so then I have to figure out the setup to maximize the, like, impact of the the punchline. 
you know? Yeah. As opposed to like setting something up and then asking yourself like, oh, how am I going to turn this into a good verse? It's like, you know where you have to land. Do you have any other tidbits of wisdom about lyric writing? Woo-ha! Yeah, man, I sure do. Um, is there a, a particular, like, quadrant of the world? Or, or like... <laughs> yeah, that's, that's kind of broad. No, no, it? man, I mean, I... Well, maybe once you have the seed of an idea, how do you expand on that without restating what you have? That actually leads me to, like, one of the most useful insights that I have come to as a songwriter, which is that... And it's actually a perfect example of the song that I just shared. I think it's really ideal to write not from a place of wanting to make a statement, but from a place of wanting to ask a question. And so even in that last tune, actually, you know, that question of what's the sound as opposed to this is the sound. And if you're trying to say something that kind of has a thesis statement in a song, it's very likely that you're going to answer, you're, you know, you're going to say what you want to say by the time you're done with verse one and the chorus. And then you're like, well, I did that. You know what I mean? <laughs> so then either you're going to spin your wheels in verses two and three, or you're going to have to diverge. Or what happens most frequently, it seems like, is people say, ah, that song didn't work. And so they shelve it, you know. So what I try to do myself and what I recommend to my students and to anyone that I'm chatting with about this is like, find a line of inquiry for your lyric that you want to explore as opposed to a proclamation that you want to proclaim in your song. Ideally, it's a question that's so big that you would never be able to fully answer it. You know what I mean? And so verse one, you're like only scratching the surface. And then verse two, you're like, man, maybe I'm getting close to the crux of this thing. And then verse three, you're like, well, this is the best I can do, but it's still an unanswerable quandary. And those tunes end up being really big and really satisfying, not just to listen to, but really satisfying to write. Because over the course of writing that tune, you're getting closer and closer to the insight that you're kind of looking for. So it, it motivates you as the writer to get to the end. And, you know, the flip side is that if you have this, like, proclamation that you want to make, the version of that proclamation in your head before you start committing to the song version of it is perfect. You know what I mean? It's like a flawless articulation of this brilliant idea that you have. And then as soon as you start to lock it in on the page or on the score or whatever, all you can do is fail. Like you will absolutely not be able to make it rhyme and make it scan and make the melody as beautiful as the like unpinned down platonic melody in your mind before you sit down to start working on it. And so then, of course, you get frustrated and you get disappointed. And again, the song ends up on the shelf or in the drawer or in the digital trash bin or whatever. Mm. Maybe that's know. why love songs often <laughs> seem to fail. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, yeah. Yeah, for um, sure. For sure. And, you know, yeah, man, th- there's a lot of reasons I think love songs are, are destined to fail, probably. <laughs> Including? (laughs) Well, love doesn't rhyme with very many things. And all the things that it already rhymes with, people have rehashed that way too much. So you're already, you know, fighting an uphill battle. But, you know, I think, like, love always has to be, like, the backdrop for a love song. That's the other big, I mean, the other main sort of point that I try to push in my songwriting classes is that, like, all songs are ideally not about one thing. They're actually about two things. So it might be, like, a song is about... Like, love is allowed to be one of them, but the other one should be something, like, really concrete. Or, you know, it's like, 
broken glass on the sidewalk. You know what I mean? You can't have a song that's just about broken glass on the sidewalk because it won't go anywhere. And you also can't have a song about that's just about love because that exists entirely in the abstract and it's really unsatisfying. But if you have a song that's about broken glass on the sidewalk and love, then it somehow like creates this this barrier of thought space that you can move around within. From poetry terminology, we refer to that as like the initial subject and the generated subject. So like the initial subject is whatever you first notice walking around town being like, oh, that like interesting blue and green broken glass glimmering or whatever. And then um, the generated subject is like, what does the bigger idea end up being? So if it's going to end up being love, well then like, did you have some super romantic encounter with a pellet gun, like shooting glass bottles with your beloved? Or was it like something considerably darker that you can think of relating, you know, shards of glass and love? I'm sure anyone can fill that one in or whatever. But, you know, that continuing expansion is what makes a lyric work, basically, mm-hmm. from the from the concrete to the abstract. Yeah, I actually was just listening to a song the other day that was a pretty good example of that. It's called Bulletproof. It's a newer song, and Great. I forget the artist's Interesting. name. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I'm not sure I know But that. she's talking about, could anyone really be bulletproof? Mm-hmm. And would that include arrows? And yeah. Would, and it's true. like all these really specific things. And then the next time, the next verse or whatever, she starts talking about like, well, does this mean I'm bulletproof against mm-hmm. your yeah. mean statements <laughs> yep. and stuff? Perfect. Yeah. So. <laughs> textbook. Totally yep. textbook. Yep. Yeah, they've got that on lockdown. Generated subject, talking about mortality, talking about death. Yeah. Those are classic, (laughs) classic generated subjects. So what would you say is the best song you've ever written? Man. Uh, There's a few contenders. I think the song Flint off of Wolf, 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 that song was exactly what I wanted it to be. Now tell me how you first learned to speak. Language is the landscape that gets left to the meek Since then it's been a mission To find the definition of strong Either it's to flare bright Or to smolder all night long But anytime I guess I get it wrong Before there was a fire, before there was a thing for us to burn Nothing's where we came from and nothing is where we will return But I am here to learn on a really different sort of note, the song Call Your Old Friends that's on the Family Trade record. Um, It's a much simpler song, but it was one of the few songs that I have written in the sort of heat of an emotional moment. Like I had a a dear old friend of mine pass away, someone that I hadn't seen in a long time and someone that I wish that I had been in touch with more recently. And when I met you, I felt empowered. Is not the same as being a coward. So call your own. 
Call Your Old Friends really always stood out to me at your shows. So I appreciate that. Yeah. I wanted to, as long as we're talking about persona, writing about from different personas, your group Foxy Morons. Oh, yeah. um, Because that's not really you (laughs) talking about. Especially, I really like the song Shank Step Blues. (laughs) Yeah. Woo. Me too. Man. So what got you started writing from the perspective of a convict? Yeah, man. Uh, Foxy Morons is a band that is co-fronted by myself as an alter ego named Jack Pine and Ben Radicky from Oak Ribbons, but uh, in Foxy Morons he goes by Red Penford. Working with Red, working with Ben, is um, so liberating just to feel like, you know, I think in my own music... I've set this, like, standard for myself of being kind of literary and being kind of, like, I don't know, high-minded or or something like that. And feeling like I can be an idiot in Foxy Morons has enabled me to be so much more brilliant than I ever (laughs) have been in my own music, in a way. Um, And so Shank Step Blues was, like, we actually wanted it originally to be, like, this barn burner, like, a really up-tempo, like, early White Stripes kind of tune. And, um... It just, like, wasn't awesome enough. And so we tried it, like, really, really slowed down and spacey, and, like, it was magic. The bluest man that I've ever seen Was the face in the mirror looking back at me You got a switchblade knife, I got a switchblade comb But I sharpen the stick in my pocket with the prison stone I should mention, we're recording this ourselves and neither of us have any background in audio engineering whatsoever so we're making these records on GarageBand and just like figuring out what the buttons do I got a 12 gallon head, but a 10 gallon hat. But you don't need me to tell you that. Don't you bother a man when he's sitting alone. Cause a sharp in the stick. My pocket with the prison stone. It just is so freeing, you know. So like, the the Shank guy, you know, we have this line about like, I made twenty five puppets and they all have your face. I keep <laughs> them in the closet where I know they can't escape. You know what I mean? It's not going to show yeah. up in, in my like typical repertoire. Um, <laughs> you don't want that on your self-titled <laughs> no, man. No, but it's like, but it's so good that it's there. And like to remember, you know, like honestly, it gives me the feeling that I had in middle school when I was first playing music with other people and first writing songs and being like, this is the most fun, most awesome, most inspiring, and most like filterless version of myself and of self-expression that I've ever experienced. Like when I was 13 and you're like, this is guitar. I love guitar. You know, like, mm-hmm. I wonder how loud this can go. Oh, this loud. Nice. You know, on the one hand, it's super wonderful to spend all of my time 
a McNally Smith teaching and getting really refined and, and like being able to articulate the minutiae of the songwriting process and songwriting craft. The flip side of that is that it is much more cerebral of a process than it was when I first began. And Foxy Morons is an, an opportunity to be disoriented again in a really good way. Thanks for joining me on this episode of Composer Quest with Brian Laidlaw. Visit brianlaidlaw.com to check out his music and poetry. I also have a list of all the songs from this episode at composerquest.com slash brianlaidlaw. If you're a new listener to the show and want to stay connected, find Composer Quest on Twitter or Facebook. And I'd love to hear from you if you want to say hi directly, charlie at composerquest.com. Now I'll leave you with part of one of my favorite tracks from Brian's new EP, Echolalia, called Clothesline. I thought I saw you at the homestead You were out at the basin ring And now you're cleaning by whatever you're chasing Please don't mistake your labor for your meaning And I know that you're bored here I've heard your complaints and some of them are valid Well, don't forget you're dear When you elegize your life in a country boy ballad And I heard that she overdosed Somewhere under a roadside But that's not a ghost, that's not a ghost It's only a clothesline I don't want to die Well, the stories are tall Baby, baby, I don't want to die At all They say a rolling rock Is where no moss grows But that's not a roadblock It's only a crossroad Say a photo booth is where to find Jesus But that's not a truth, it's only a thesis And baby, baby, I don't want to die But the stories are tall Baby, 